0: Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Firstly, thank you to the elders for this opportunity to share the word that God has put on my heart this morning. Um, It's a privilege and it's not one that I take lightly. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. So Christmas to me is, by definition, the most wonderful time of the year. Okay, I fully buy into that. I go into holiday overdrive. And I was trying to find some kind of picture that would encapsulate exactly how much I love Christmas. And the only thing I could come up with was, Eloise, whenever you're ready, (laughs) this picture. (laughs) This is me at Christmas, full on. I want to do it all. I want to do the stockings. I want to do the tree. I want to do the lights, everything. Lately, though, there has been a little wrench in my Christmas decoration um, ideals, and that wrench comes in the form of my toddler's son. So last year, I put up the Christmas tree, and we had the lights on, and about 10 seconds later, I found my son chewing on the Christmas lights, both the wires and the bulbs, determined to electrocute himself. So I thought, aha, I will not be thwarted, and I put a baby gate around the tree, have any of you seen Jurassic Park? Not the Chris Pratt one where there's like a thousand sequels, but the original Jurassic Park. You know, remember, this, remember the scene with the raptors, how they go and they test that electric fence to see where they can escape? That was my son, literally testing the baby gate to find out its weak point, reached his hand through the gate, pulled the tree towards him, and resumed his favorite pastime of trying to electrocute himself. This year, we have a little bit more progress. We have the tree up, we have the decorations on, and we haven't had any major issues. However, my son spends most of his time sitting in our living room with this face. (laughs) I will take bets on how long the tree lasts after the service. So last week, we had the incredible privilege of sitting under the ministry and teaching of Chanel Rousseau, who is a woman who stroked who flows strongly in the prophetic. And one of the things that she so powerfully reminded us of is that God is always speaking, but we may not always be listening. She also reminded us that God speaks in many different ways through many different circumstances. This has proven to be true in my life, as God has recently used a health condition and my children to massage a deep truth into me. That is the truth of the love of the Father. Now, we have had the privilege at Church in the City of having many different people preaching from this pulpit. And with that variety comes excitement and comes a wonderful plethora of ways in which God speaks to us. But sometimes that can work against us in that you might not be able to relate to the person bringing the word. In this case, you might not be a woman, You might not be a mother, but I encourage you, don't let how God spoke to me about this be the focus today. Let what God spoke to me be the focus, and don't discount what I say because you may not necessarily be in the same life space as I am. So let's just dive in. What was the truth that God revealed to me that he wanted me to share today? That is the truth of the love of the Father and how it is revealed to us in his son, Jesus. I am the mom of three kids. Nariah, who's five, our infamous Ephraim, who's almost two and a half, and Atara, who is now seven weeks old. When I was pregnant with Atara, our youngest, at around 20 weeks, I had a routine ultrasound. And during the ultrasound, they told me that it looked like my placenta was growing into my previous caesarean section scars, a condition known as placenta accreta. And the issue with this problem is that the placenta may not come out after baby comes out. And if the placenta doesn't come out, it can result in severe bleeding, hemorrhage, as it's known, <clears throat> the medical term, and it can result in death of the mother, because you can't keep up with giving the blood back fast enough. When I met with my OB, she told me that there was something called the Accreta Protocol that they were going to institute. It sounds more like the title of a John Grisham novel. But basically, it involved having all kinds of medical specialties on standby for the operating room, including interventional radiology, surgery, hematology, oncology. It involved having 10 units of blood on standby in case they needed to give me blood back. And involved a lot of very scary things. So naturally, Matt and I were very freaked out. And we did the only thing that we knew we could do, which was to pray. And God was so faithful because when I went in for my ultrasound again two weeks after that, it showed that there was a beautiful space between the placenta and the scar, that God had miraculously physically healed me. And my OB said, there's nothing you need to do. We don't have to do anything else. You're fine. You're clear. This is going to be a normal routine cesarean section. Praise God. While he had healed me physically, the enemy had used that physical ailment to sow fear and anxiety into my mind. And so for me, even though the physical healing was complete, the spiritual and mental battle was just starting. I became so fearful that I was going to die at the time of my caesarean section. I was utterly convinced that that would be my last day on earth, that some kind of complication would arise that was unforeseen, and that would be the end. It didn't help that I had a series of three very vivid dreams about me dying in the weeks leading up to my caesarean section. It looked like my worst nightmare was going to come true, that of being ripped away from my husband and my children, either through my death or through one of their demise. God was very faithful to heal me of this fear and anxiety days before the caesarean section, but that is something I will get to later. So when I started believing the fear, I started buying into the anxiety, my heart literally broke in two as I contemplated my children growing up without their mother. These little people that Matt and I created, my baby girl, and my precious boy, them not knowing who I was, them not knowing Anything about me, and me not being able to guide them, to hold them, to kiss them, to cuddle them, to comfort them, I wouldn't be able to do any of that. In my desperation, I started composing goodbye letters to them. Love letters for Mama, so that they would know who I was when I was gone. I wanted each one of them to know who I was. I wanted them to know the little things, that I love sushi, and I loved princess movies, and I hated snakes, and I was a terrible dancer, I wanted them to know that there wasn't a single day that went by that I didn't thank God for them or pray for them. I wanted them to know who they were. I wanted my eldest, Naraya, to know that she was fearless and that she came from a long line of very strong women. I wanted my son to know that he was kind and thoughtful. And I wanted my youngest, someone who would I would have never held, who I would have never been able to kiss or comfort. I wanted her to know that she got her name from a word of knowledge from Naraya. I wanted them to know who they were in God. I wanted to give them advice for their lives. I thought about every little situation and every big life moment. Their graduations, their weddings, the day that they would have children of their own. And I wanted to tell them so desperately, this is what you would do in this situation and I want to be there when you put on your wedding dress. I wanted to tell them how to walk into the call of God into their lives. And I wanted to teach them how to be courageous. Above all, I wanted them to know that Mama loved them, always and forever, no matter what. A letter seemed so inadequate at conveying all of this. And while I knew that Matt would tell them about me, it wasn't the same as me being there and being in their presence. Thinking about all of this was anguish. I'm here today, so we know none of that happened, thank God. So why am I sharing this with you? Because in praying for this morning and praying for what God wanted me to share, he brought that whole episode back to mind. He brought that sense of unquenchable longing for my children to know me. He brought that sense of anguish and desire that I would do anything for them to know who I was and know how much I love them. He brought all of that back to my mind. And I asked him, Lord, why? Why would you do this? And he ever so gently told me, because that's how I feel about you, Sheetal. That's how I feel about all my children. Father God created us, his children, in his image. Let's take our minds back to Genesis, where God is walking in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They are unclothed, they are unashamed, and they are in intimacy with the Father. I'm going to take a little bit of license, but I can just imagine the conversations they would have with the God of the universe walking with them. You know, Adam would say, oh, today I named the big cats. I decided that one was a tiger and that one was a lion. And God would be like, oh, today I created the Milky Way. And it's just such a beautiful picture of a father with their children experiencing that intimacy, that which we were created for. But what happened? Sin entered the world. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated from their intimate intimacy with the Father, because God is holy and righteous, and he cannot be in the presence of that which is not holy and not righteous. In an instant, the children whom God cherished and loved and provided for and created, the pinnacle of his creation, God was ripped away from them in that moment. Not just Adam and Eve, but all their descendants, down to you and I. When sin entered the world, our ability to touch and talk to and hold and be in communion with the Father ended. But that did not stop our loving Father. He didn't say, oh, they deserve that and wash his hands of us. No. In that moment, from the creation of the world, he devised a plan. He said to his children, I am coming for you. I will not accept the separation anymore. I will not take the fact that you and I cannot be in unity. And he devised a plan. And that plan was Jesus Christ. But in devising that plan, he also wrote us a letter. He wrote us a love letter, which is the scripture. He wrote us something which was God-breathed, God-inspired, and written for us, his children. His letter, which is the scripture, tells us about himself. This is what daddy is like. Daddy is just. Daddy is compassionate. Daddy is holy and patient and righteous. He loves it when we are obedient and filled with faith. And he hates religion. This letter, the scripture written for us, his children, tells us who we are. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love that word lavished. Lavish speaks of bestowing something in generous or extravagant quantities. It's speaking of covering something thickly or liberally. God's love is lavish. It's not a sprinkling. It's not a teaspoonful. It's lavish. And who we are? We are children that have been lavished by, the, God of the, by the, Father, the love of the Father. Scripture also speaks of our internal inheritance. It speaks that, about us being heirs for the kingdom of God. That we are daughters and sons of the King. And it tells us that our spirits cry, Abba, Father. Scripture, God's love letter to us, also tells us how to live our lives. In the big moments and the quiet ones, how to grow our character, how to grow in mercy and faith, and how to be more than conquerors, and how to be equipped for every good work. But most of all, Scripture tells us of the unconditional love of a father. It tells us of his passionate pursuit of us, and it tells us that Father God loves us always and forever, no matter what. This truth, above all, is what differentiates Christianity from any other faith out there. Christianity, or faith in Jesus, is a faith entered into, outworked, and sustained by one thing and one thing alone, a loving Father. It's a Father who longs to be reunited with us more than we can imagine. A Father who loves us more than we can ever love Him and a father who has paid the ultimate price so that we can be in relationship with him. You might be here today and say, well, this is all well and good, but what does any of this have to do with Christmas? Well, imagine for a moment, a bit of a morbid thought, but what if I had passed away? What if I had completed those letters and given the letter to Naraya? And Nariah, my eldest, held that letter with her name on it, in my handwriting, knowing full well that letter was addressed to her and was from me. But what if she never opened that letter? What if she never read its contents, telling her about me and how much I loved her and giving her advice? Would that letter have been of any use to her in her life? No. Enter Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh that walks among us. God didn't just provide us a letter to read in the Scriptures. He made that letter come alive and walk among us in this world so that we can not only read and know the love of God, we can experience it, the fullness of it in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, that access to the, to the God who loves us and the Father heart of God is not available. It's just a letter that is unopened that we know should be there, but we can't partake of fully. The day Jesus was born, the day we celebrate as Christmas, that is the day that the Father's love was put on display. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7 is a prophecy about the birth of Jesus, and it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus not only brought a demonstration of the love of the Father, but he also brought the wisdom of the Father, the power of the Father, the peace of the Father, and the rule of the Father. Why did he bring these things? To equip us, his children, to overcome anything that would keep us from the Father's love, anything that would oppress us or keep us from knowing who he was. So how does Jesus demonstrate the Father's love to us? He does it by revealing three things. And Steve, this is my Christmas present to you. They all start with the letter P. (laughs) You're welcome. So Jesus demonstrates the Father's love by revealing that the Father's love is persistent in pursuit of us. So that his children would not miss the coming of Jesus Christ, This opening of this letter to his children, he began to tell his children about Jesus centuries before he arrived. There are countless prophecies in Scripture written 700 years, 800 years before the birth of Jesus in extreme detail, things about his crucifixion, Things about his birth, thinks about what he would eat, curds and honey. Micah 5 verse 2 is an example of this. I won't read it, but it's essentially a prophecy about him coming from Bethlehem. When Jesus was born, he fulfilled each and every one of these prophecies, showing God the Father to be faithful. Even when the Israelites were disobedient, when the Israelites worshipped idols, they ran from God, they rejected God God never changed. He never for a moment wavered from his plan of sending Jesus. He planned to re- his plan to reunite us with God the Father was set into motion and nothing would dissuade him from doing that. This shows how persistent God is. Another way in which Jesus reveals the Father's love to us is that it shows that his love is passionate. I've heard it said that when you have a child... It's as though you have let your heart out of your body and allow it to walk around in the world. I find that to be true. And that's exactly what God did. He took his very heart and let it walk around in the world in the form of Jesus. But he didn't just do that for Jesus to experience glory. He did it knowing full well that Jesus was going to experience suffering. What kind of passionate love is that? That a father who loves his child so much would let that child experience torture. For who? For you and I. For you and me. Jesus was God with us. God's own heart in this world. 1 John 4 verse 9 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. Even though we were responsible for causing the separation between God our Father and us, God is the one who repaired it. And he paid the ultimate price to do it, requiring nothing from us. He didn't do it because we were good children who obeyed him perfectly and deserved it. Romans 5 verse 8 reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What greater demonstration of passionate love that a father would send a son to die for those who are undeserving. Another way in which Jesus demonstrates the power, Father's love is that it shows us that the Father's love is powerful. Jesus' birth was a miracle. He was born of a virgin, fully man, and fully God. Centuries later, theologians are still trying to figure that out. That's something only the power of God could do. Jesus, during his lifetime, moved powerfully in miracles, signs, and wonders, And he demonstrated to us what can happen when we are in perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit. John 5 verse 19 to 20 shows us what this looks like. And it basically tells us that whatever the Father does is what Jesus does. If we take it from verse 20, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Jesus' Jesus' actions and interactions on this earth were exactly that of the Father. So if we know Jesus, we can know the Father. The final hurdle that separated us from God was that of sin. And on the cross, every sin that any of us has ever committed, is currently living in, or will ever commit, was laid on Jesus. The sin of the whole world. And in that moment, Jesus looked to his father and cried out, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because God turned his face away from him. Why did a loving father forsake the son he loves so much? So that you and I will never, ever have to be forsaken. God will never turn his face from us. The ultimate display of God's power was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God dealt a final blow to death itself, saying that even death cannot keep me from my children, because now they can be with me for eternity. Jesus' birth was the culmination of the plans and promises of God, showing the Father's love to be persistent, passionate, and powerful. So why do we celebrate Christmas? Because when Jesus entered the world, he made it possible for us to experience that love of the Father for eternity. What greater reason is there to celebrate? As I mentioned earlier, God did deliver me from my fear and anxiety before my caesarean section. And it didn't happen through prayer and fasting, although I did pray. I'm a terrible faster, so I didn't do that. Um, And it didn't happen through a prophetic word. It happened in a quiet moment while I was driving my car. I suddenly felt God speak the love of the Father over me. And more importantly, He spoke the love of the Father over my children, reminding me that He loved them more than I could ever love them. And I could trust that love and know that they were in safe hands, no matter what would happen. In that moment, perfect love cast out fear in me. And John 4 verse 18 to 19 says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. The hold the enemy had over my mind to cause fear and anxiety was broken and was broken by the perfect love of a father. Maybe some of you here today know the song, Jesus Loves Me. You know the kids' song, Jesus Loves Me, this I know. Yep. This is why I'm not on the worship team. Um, We all know that song to be a children's song. But sometimes we can take that truth, that Jesus loves me, to be a truth only for children as well. We might think that as we mature in our faith, somehow we graduate from needing the Father's love that we graduate on to things that we can do for the Father instead. However, the reality is we never mature out of needing the Father's love. That true maturity in the faith is actually finding new depths within the Father's love. And it's out of this place of love that comes the most powerful ministry, whether it be the prophetic or evangelism or hospitality. Those things all hinge on one thing, us knowing the love of the Father and knowing that He has that same love for someone else. It points to one of our ethics here at Church in the City, in that love is the difference. If you're here today and you've never had the opportunity to know God as your Father, you might think that Christianity is a bunch of rules and regulations that it's all about doing the right thing and following a plethora of different doctrines. I hope you know today that it's, that could not be further from the truth. That Christianity is one thing and one thing alone. It's a relationship with the Father who created you. We are made of flesh, which is finite and has a sell-by date. And we're also made of spirit. And that spirit is eternal. There is only one thing our spirit cries, that's Abba, Father. And Abba is Aramaic for Father, so it cries out constantly, Father, Father. There is only one thing that will satisfy that cry, and that is the Father himself. If you've never had that opportunity to reunite with God the Father and satisfy the cry of your spirit, it would be my privilege to pray with you today. All you have to do is just stick up your hand and I can lead you in a prayer right now. If you prefer, you can come at the end of the service towards the front. There'll be someone there to pray with you. But I would like to make space now. If there is someone here who hasn't had that opportunity to reunite with their father in that way, if you could just stick your hand up, I'd love to pray with you right now. That's okay. If, you, if there is someone who likes that, again, at the end, I'll be available. I felt God wanted to remind us of one thing this morning, his perfect love. Christmas is often touted as the season of giving, but as Christians, it's actually the season of receiving. It's about receiving what Jesus did on the cross. It's about receiving the Father's love made known to us in that baby that was born in a manger. And this morning, I just felt that God wanted to lavish his love upon us. Maybe you've experienced a teaspoonful of his love, or a tablespoon, or a cupful, and you've thought that that's all there is. But I felt God wanted to say, no, there is an abundance, overflowing, more than we could ever imagine available of his love, that he wants to saturate us in today. I was wondering if the worship team could come up, if they have a minute. I just felt God say that in that place of saturation in his love, in that place of overflow and abundance, that he will rain down on us, in that place, there is no space for fear. There is no space for disease. There is no space for anxiety. That the love of the Father casts out all those things. Often we think it's a season of doing, that we have a list that has to get accomplished. But this is one thing that doesn't require us doing It requires us receiving. And all we have to do is posture ourselves in a way that says, Father, won't you come? Won't you come and show me your love? Won't you come and lavish upon me that which you always have wanted to lavish upon me? Not in sprinkles, Father. Not in small measures, Lord. But in abundance, Father. In abundance. Like we've never felt or seen before. Father, won't you come? Won't you come and wash over us, Lord? The one thing I always call Naraya is my baby girl. And she's asked me after Tara was born, Mama, am I still your baby girl? And I've told her, Naraya, whether you're five or 500, you will always be my baby girl. Because it speaks of her position, which will never change that of my daughter. And it's because of her position as my daughter that I love her and I lavish my love upon her. This morning, I just felt that phrase for the women in the room. I felt the Father wanted to speak over you, my baby girl. My baby girl, because that is who you are. Father, we just thank you that we are always your children, Lord. That we can expect your love. We can expect your freedom. We can expect your power because you are the Father that loves us. Pray that you would come in this place, Father. That you would minister, Lord. That you would lavish your love upon your baby girls. Upon your sons in this room, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City. All of Jesus for everyone.